Welcome to Building Astropad. I'm Matt Runge, co-founder and CEO at Astropad, and I'll be taking you behind the scenes at our company where we build software and hardware products for creative people. So if you're a creator interested in starting a business or creating your next big project, join us and let's learn together. Hey everyone, Matt here. I'm back with Giovanni. We're talking about the making of Astropad part two. So this is the second part. You know, I suggest you listen to the first episode where we talk about going from kind of the conception of Astropad all the way up to our launch. And so today we were going to talk about what happened after the launch. Before we get into that, though, one tiny bit of follow-up. Last time we ended it talking about a quote from Tom Kalinske. I mentioned there was a book I really liked at the time, Console Wars, and the main character in it is Tom Kalinske. At one point, there was a quote that we kept saying internally, just kind of was a joke between each other. And I couldn't think of it at the time, but it was stay aggressive. And that was because I pinged him on Twitter and I was like telling him about what we were doing. And, you know, I was just like so, so excited after reading that book. And he he just responded to me and said, stay aggressive, exclamation point. So I'm glad we remembered it said. finally. Yeah. Yeah. It took, it took a little bit to dust off the cobwebs. But so we ended before kind of at the launch. And the launch had gone really well. We generated a ton of interest, a ton of traffic, the, one of the highest traffic days ever in the history of the company. But actually, after the launch, we didn't feel all that great. Do you remember what you were going through, what was going through your mind, how you were feeling, Giovanni? Yeah, certainly. For a few months, I think we were going through some blues. Later on, I think in, you know, this, I think this sort of post, I started calling the release of a product and what falls afterwards as a postpartum depression, because I've noticed that every time we work so hard on something, then we release it. There's a period of kind of low energy that follows. But I think for the release of Astropad V1, that was really the first time that we both faced it. Yeah. And we had worked so hard too, to get the launch out the door. We really had no gas left in the tank. Yeah. I think a combination of being exhausted, not seeing results right away. And possibly just a lot of uncertainty. Yeah, there was a lot of uncertainty. And I remember, so we had a ton of traffic and we talked to other developers out there that had launched their own apps and to get an idea, like what did a a really good launch look like for them? And we quickly learned that we had a ton more traffic than other people, but we had way lower sales. We had way lower sales. We had way lower actual customers, actual users. At our launch, we had raised $60,000 from our launch, which is a big sum of money, right? But based on that, Giovanni and I had completely quit freelancing and doing consulting work. And so we were sitting with that and that was going to, what was going to run the business and we were going to pay ourselves for it for like the rest of the year. And running a business, you learn quickly that things are expensive. Money goes fast, right? So that wasn't going to last very long. Yeah, that's right. I forgot that we had the leap of faith. That's what I called it when we when we were like, okay, That's we're right. gonna fire okay. all yep. our consulting clients, and we're gonna turn ourselves and focus on being a product company going forward. That's right, because we felt we had enough of a cushion now. We had enough of a cash cushion to give us some time to try to make things work. You know, it was like this is an incredible opportunity, and if this is gonna happen, like now is the time. We need to make the we need to make the jump. And so we did, but we didn't know whether there was a safety net on the other side when we jumped. We didn't. We didn't. And, you know, we were, yeah, we were frustrated too that we hadn't been able to get as many, you know, I'd gotten a lot of attention, but not as many 
users, you know, users that were using the product mm -hmm. on a daily basis. Yep. And the market condition for apps were really hard. I think we were starting to doubt whether, you know, a single app or, you know, a small company just centered around a product could be even successful in 2015. And I think one of the anecdotes I would like to talk about is the night before the launch when we actually got a call from Apple. You remember that, Matt? Mm, yes. All right. I do remember that. So, yeah, an interesting tidbit with this too is we were in a unique position because Astropad had both a Mac app and it had a iPad app. And so we had, we could say like, okay, well, we could make one of them free and charge for the other. And we could, you know, have people pay upfront for the iPad app and make the Mac app free, or we could do the reverse and make the iPad app free and then have the Mac app be some kind of trial or pay upfront. And so we went back and forth on this a lot and we ended up doing the Mac app as what you'd pay for and the iPad app was free. And we did this for a couple of reasons. One was because the market for iPad software, the prices were so low. We felt that if we positioned it as people buying a Mac app, they'd be willing to pay more. Do you remember what we charged for it? Was it like $50? Oh man, I forgot. $40, $50, I think $50. But that's how much we were charging for the Mac app. And because of that, we were also able to include a trial, which you couldn't do. And that was important to us too. We really wanted a trial. So we went ahead with that. And the night before the launch, somebody from Apple called. It was somebody from the App Store side of things and kind of gave us the inkling that, hey, we're willing to feature you, but you need to make some changes. And the one thing they really didn't like is we were effectively circumventing payment on the App Store. And they wanted us to charge for the iPad app. You know, they wanted it to go through the app store and they were really, really pushing that. We were not feeling it because like the thought of Apple featuring us was huge. We were super excited about that, but we were so exhausted at this point. The thought of delaying the launch and tweaking the app and ripping out the trial system we had, like it was too much. It was more than we could think about. So we're like, we need to go forward with this launch. And so then Apple said to us, well, why don't you just do it free then? You know, you'll get a ton of coverage and we can, you know, feature you just make it free. And we were like, what? Like, we're trying to build a bootstrap, a product company here. We cannot <laughs> go free out the door. But, you know, obviously at Apple, they didn't care. They were just like, yeah, make it free. It'll be great for the iPad. So that kind of set up the, the beginning of our many year contentious yeah. relationship Love and hate. With Apple. Love and hate. Love and hate yeah, relationship. Very much love and hate. <laughs> yeah. It totally describes our relationship with Apple. We were so exhausted by just the 14 months of the journey that we've been on that we were like, we just need to get this out of our system in any way possible. We just need to get it out. Yeah. And I remember thinking too, yeah, it might be optimal to switch to the iPad, charging for the iPad app and getting featured. But it was like, I just, mm -hmm. I don't have it in me. Like we, we need to go. It's now or never. And so we did, and they didn't feature us, but that was okay. And it was the right choice because one of the great things that Astropad V1 had was a free trial, and we realized that while we didn't make a ton of money on day one, a lot of people got to see it and went viral. And I think it was part of the secret sauce there was that people could try it, see that it worked really well, and talk about it. Absolutely. Whenever we look back at that, we don't regret what we did. It was like, that was actually the right move. Like, we might have been frustrated we didn't have more paying customers but in the end it turned out to be the right move 
Yeah. So f- then we started on like, okay, how are we going to make this sustainable? That's right. That was the big thing. It was like, we need an all out effort on how to make this sustainable. And I remember talking to customers too, and trying to figure out what the biggest shortcomings were. Starting to tackle that. Yeah. There was a combination, I think of, is there something that we need to change in the product or is there something that we need to change in the business model? And in that phase too, I think there was that phase of doubt where almost like an imposter syndrome that we got ourselves into where it's like, okay, did we just think that this was going to be easy? And in reality, this is, this is really hard. Is it even a problem that we can solve ourselves? Yeah, we had really just focused on getting into the launch. And now we'd entered phase two of the journey, you know, and <laughs> it proved to be as tough as, as what we had, we had done before. And we actually, speaking of business model and product, we actually ended up doing both. Mostly the core product was okay, but there was just improvements we needed to make. I remember one big complaint was how much pixelation would be on the screen when you'd move jicks around. And so I went like crazy working on that. And year after year, we, that was always a complaint. And we ended up reducing it more and more and more and more. Reducing the latency even lower too. People wanted lower latency. There were some limitations there with the styluses at the time, but we were still able to crank even lower latency out of the system. I remember app compatibility was a big thing. I remember, Giovanni, you spent a lot of time on the pressure and I think the pressure. Yeah, we just, we just listened to what people wanted and, and tried to, to accommodate for changes that artists wanted to, to see. And the other thing is none of these by themselves moved the needle. It wasn't like you can point at one of these and say like, that was it. That was the silver bullet that changed everything. There really wasn't. It was a combination of all these things. What did make a big impact though was when we did switch That's right. to the App Store. Yeah, do you remember why? I don't why really we switched over to the App Store? Around that, do you? Yeah, or just leading up to it. Well, I think we realized that as a pain mechanism, the App Store did offer less friction, and I think we were still thinking that you know just being good terms with Apple was a, a good strategy, and they've been really pushing really hard for us to switch over to the App Store payment system. And so I think that was the main rationale behind it, just trying to be in good terms with the platform that we were on and offer a very smooth payment process. It did. I remember when we did it, it helped. Mm-hmm. We did see an increase. The combination of those improvements to the product plus making it easier to pay, we were starting to see like how we could get closer to being sustainable. Yeah, that's true. So I think we were very comfortable in you know improving the product because engineers ourselves we knew how to do that well. But running the business, I remember we started talking to a number of people that could help us market our product. I remember talking to some PR firms. Oh, yes. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, we reached out to a PR firm. We never, we never yep. ended up going that route. But I remember also talking to other you know, figures that in the industry are very well respected that you know, we kind of assumed they knew how to run a business in the Apple ecosystem. Because we were feeling like we, we really didn't know how a good business was supposed to function. And it quite didn't work out. Like it's, nobody really had a silver bullet, we realized later on. No, nobody, nobody had a silver bullet. And we realized too that we were the people that understood our market, our product, our customers the best because we we're obsessed about it, right? So nobody was going to have, like we could, we could take advice from other people and factor that in. But at the end of the day, no one was going to know as well as we would and know the segment of the market as, as well as we would just because we're living it day in and day out. Mm-hmm. So we started to get a bit more savvy at that time. 
slowly but surely, I guess over the years, we've gotten more savvy. Still don't have it totally figured out, but you know, probably, probably never will. But I remember we started doing an email list. That was a pretty big deal. And with, in hindsight, it seems kind of, I don't know, dumb that we didn't do it from the beginning, but that's how these things go. We started collecting email addresses in the app, which was huge. That changed a lot of things for us. We started to build a really significant email list. Yeah, the other thing I remember is we realized that a big audience for us would have been photographers in addition to you know the illustrator community, which we had already fostered. And so we started, well, making changes to the app so they would be more friendly to photographers, but also targeting that audience specifically. We went to the extent of essentially redoing our promotional video so that instead of using an illustrator as a main subject, it was actually a, a photographer editing photos using Astropad. And that, I remember, was a successful marketing campaign that we did. Yeah, that worked really well. And we were able to reach out to a bunch of new websites. I think it was like DP Review, and it was Petapixel and some others, too, that picked it up. I remember around that point, too, starting to think like, actually, you know what? I think we can make this work. It was around that time after the really successful photography marketing campaign we did, starting to feel much more confident about things. Yeah, definitely. But that was six months in. Yeah, that was. That was many months in. Many months in. Yeah. Some other things I remember trying too that also helped. Again, none of these by themselves was a massive boost, but each one of these things helped was we started adding support for more styluses. And so every time we did that, so one of the most popular ones that people wanted was Pencil by 53 at the time. It was a really popular iPad stylus before Apple's Pencil. So we added support for that. And then we did kind of like a co-marketing event with them where they promoted us, we promoted their stylus. And we did that with Pogo Connect was another stylus. And we did that with a few more things as well, where we kind of did these cross-marketing campaigns. And each one of those helped a little bit, move things along, get more exposure for us. Yeah. Yeah. 53, that company was really supportive, actually, of our efforts. Even to this day, I think George is a person that we sometimes reach out for, for advice. Yeah. The, they were the great. folks at uh, 53 were great. Uh, I remember even their communications PR person helping us a bunch too, helping us refine our, our pitch. They were awesome. There was just kind of like a, sh a shared, I don't know what I want to say, DNA maybe and like making creative products too, I think we connected with. We were obviously much smaller than them. They had raised yep. venture capital, and yep. had, you know, a lot of people yep. in, in New York City. We were, you know, just the two of us, mm -hmm. but still, we, we really Yeah, and, and now we're, that we're talking about it, I think we in, in that phase when we launched Osterpad, we... I want to say we, we became like public figures because it's really not. But our profile was raised where we started interacting with a number of other companies. And, you know, from Adobe, I remember visiting their headquarters, you know, to other indie developers just like us. And we were still navigating our role in this industry. And, you know, I remember the two of us went to the Adobe headquarters and we were super excited about the possibilities of, of, of talking to them. And, you know, fast forward now, looking back at that meeting, well, they used us for brainstorming, just to brainstorm, to learn what we were doing. They have some competing products. You know, for them, it's really like a good brainstorming opportunity to bring somebody that has gone very vertical in a problem and, and learn from them. And instead, I think there were other smaller yeah. companies like 53, for example, which had a vested interest in collaborating with us because we were similar in size to some degree. Yeah, very interesting because I think 
you know, fast forward to where we are now, we know that it's really hard to make any collaboration work with somebody that is a magnitude bigger. Absolutely. And we, and we, we didn't, didn't, we didn't know that at the time. We didn't, we didn't get it. Now we'd be much more suspicious of, and much more careful meeting with a big company, but that's the kind of stuff you don't know starting out. Right. You're like, Oh, is this an acquisition thing? Like, what is this? What's going on? Right. Yeah. We were very delusional. <laughs> Naive. There you go. Yeah, there you naive. go. Naive is the right naive word. For sure. Yeah. Naive is the right <laughs> word. Yeah. And so then we were still trying to navigate all this. And there was a, another critical moment for us was that when we started participating in the Minnesota Cup. <laughs> and that, that was that year. And the Minnesota Cup is, it's like a business plan competition here. Not just plan, but you have to have like a product and customers and so on. But you have to have under a million dollars in revenue. And it's here in Minnesota, and I've always been based here in Minnesota, so we were able to apply with that. And technically, the company is is registered in Minnesota as well. So we applied for the Minnesota Cup that's run out of the University of Minnesota. And it was on the recommendation of a friend, Dan Flees of KidBlog. And he was like, yeah, you guys should do it. You know, it's like there's some great questions. And even if you don't get very far, like answering those questions will really help you figure out, you know, how to move the business forward. And it was also an opportunity to meet with people that knew more on the business side of things than because we were engineers again. We were coming at this from the engineering angle. So I remember applying and put that together and we made it past the first round. And then we had to do some more work, had to put like together official business plan and presentation. And then amazingly, we made it past that round. Like we were, I remember expecting at any moment. Yeah, let me pause you right there because I, I think for the, you know, this is your version. But from, from my perspective of being in San Francisco, in the Silicon Valley, you know, the Bay Area, you know, for the longest time, this was like, you know, you're on Endeavor. You, you had asked me, hey, you're like, are you okay if I apply to this thing? And I was like, sure, of course. But I was kind of, yeah. I think, downplaying the importance of that. Or sure. I wasn't thinking it was going to be anything particularly interesting for our business perspective. How wrong was I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep, yeah, it's a really huge wrong. milestone for us. And yeah. I think the big lesson there is, yeah, there's just a lot of resources, I think, in the, your community that you could tap into. And, they, you know, they don't need to be in, the Sil- in Silicon Valley, really. They don't. Well, and I think the other thing we learned in the process, too, is that the kind of a lot of the companies that are built in Silicon Valley, they're going for shoot for the moon. Yeah. In some cases, literally, like... Well, I guess SpaceX isn't in Silicon Valley, but anyway, it's Silicon Valley type, you know, companies that are trying to go really, really big, really, really fast and eventually like IPO. And that wasn't really the path we were on. We were like, we want to build a product company. Yeah, we want to grow it. We have a significant impact when people know our brand. Like, yeah, but, you know, we're not dead set on like unicorn or bust, right? That wasn't us. And we realized that yeah, there are other communities too, like outside of, you know, because Silicon Valley is very oriented towards that, that there are other communities, kind of bootstrapper communities in a way. But here in Minnesota yep. is one example of that with the Minnesota Cub. So we kept advancing. Mm-hmm. We kept advancing. And then we gave a presentation. And then we won the tech division and we won some money. And then we went even further and we ended up winning the whole thing, which was a complete shock to us. I remember you were there at the award ceremony. Yep. With me, Giovanni, and we totally were not expecting to win it. I remember having no idea what to say when we went on stage. <laughs> and not prepared. So. I think you're really great at presentation. Like you had polished that presentation so so much over the course of the competition. 
But I also remember that at the last, the last round, it was the same. Yeah, the last oh, round. The last this round, just going yeah. before <laughs> going into the room, this. Apple introduced Apple Pencil. Yeah, this was literally like an hour before we were supposed to present for the final round. So I'm like wildly editing the slides, like trying to take a screenshot from the keynote of Apple. Yep. And and it was clear that for us, you know, one of the the biggest problems of Rasterpad was really the stylus input, not having a first first class citizen stylus support on iPad was really the limiting factor for for our product to really break into the professional artist realm. And so I think that afternoon when Apple introduced Apple Pencil, you went into that room. I think there was just like a momentum of just being in the right place at the right time that was hard to ignore, I think. Yeah, that was really, that day was a major turning point because the Apple Pencil was there. We had a professional class stylist and I would argue the best stylist in the industry, period. And that we were going to be ready to support on day one with a great app. And we won the Minnesota Cup. And with that, we also won $80,000 in prize money, which is huge for us. That also helped us turbocharge and you know start to make hires and really get things going. And that, that was just an incredible... And on top of it, and I always say the biggest thing from the Minnesota Cup was helping pair us up with advisors and mentors. Yeah. And they're still with us today. Like We really wouldn't be where we are without all the help that we, resources that we got along the way. Yeah. Like we had a mentor, we were assigned a mentor in the Minnesota Cup, Jim Leslie, who was just fantastic in the Minnesota area. We still keep in touch with him and he still still helps us out to this day. He's fantastic. And we also got connected to an organization, MESA. I always forget what it stands for. Minnesota Emerging Software Association, is it? Let's see. I'll look it up right now. I don't see on their website either. Yeah, and to that, you know, I really need to give you credit for, I think, seeking resources in areas where we really lacked expertise. I think our advisors you know, taught us how to run the books, you know, to make prediction about our use of cash and how to map for the future. And then later you hired a CFO for our company. Yep, yep, yep. And all along the way, I think, you know, they weren't like really drastic changes, but every little improvement that we made to the organization structure contribute to being able to run a successful business. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I got the name here, Minnesota Emerging Software Advisory. So I was really close. Mesa. We always know them as Mesa. But we got introduced to Mesa and through the Minnesota Cup and a bunch of other connections in the industry as well from the Minnesota Cup because it raised our profile. And you know, we got two great advisors out of Mesa as well, Jack Hauser and Brian Olson, who are still with us today, helping us and have really been instrumental in helping us build those business chops that we were like, yeah, we knew we I agree. needed help in. A question for you, man, but how did you know we were missing some key knowledge? Because I feel like I was also delusional just not knowing what we needed. Why did you seek that help? That's a great question. I don't really know what it was that told me that. I mean, I just knew we needed more knowledge on the business, marketing, sales side of thing, finances. I knew if we were going to build a successful company, and I just knew that we didn't have experience there. And just like how we'd become better engineers by working with other talented engineers and being having like advisors and other people in the way that had gotten us to the point where we could we could build really great products. I figured the same was going to apply in the other areas too, and that we needed, we needed that help. We really didn't mm-hmm. know what we didn't know. Yeah, I was kind of afraid of that too. Like, 
even just like hiring an employee, right? It was like, what right. the heck do you do? How does that work? I have no idea. How do you do payroll? Who do you contact? Taxes, all these things, you know, just had no idea. So just being able to talk to somebody that had done it before and just point us in the yeah. right direction. Well, I want to give credit to those guts because they were spot on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, thanks. And I knew that we wanted to develop the chops ourselves as well. We weren't at a spot where we're like, oh, we're just going to mm-hmm. bring in a business person, you know, and they're going to do all that. It was like, no, that's not like... If we're going to make this work, we got to really understand it ourselves. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. And that was really what created Astropad right there. That combination of getting the right advisors, getting the recognition from Minnesota Cup, that extra cash. And you can't discount the Apple Pencil. The Apple Pencil was really what made the business. It changed everything. And sales went up just like crazy mm-hmm. as soon as that Apple yep. Pencil hit the market. That's right. It was like yeah. 10x. We were at the right time, in the right place. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we definitely were. You know, I think one remaining big lesson for the first six months is how key is to manage your own psychology in the up and downs of running a business. Can you elaborate on that? Because we talked a lot about it. Yeah, we did talk a lot about that. And I actually ended up writing a blog post on it. I can link to it too. But... I remember just dealing with our own psychology and our own negative or positive thoughts would get in the way of being able to make forward progress. You know, some days you'd just be really down, be like, there's no way out of this. And it'd be really hard to move the needle that day. Right. And so we, we acknowledged pretty quickly that conquering our own minds was the first step in, in making, making forward progress. And one thing I noticed too is, and this is what I talk about a lot in the blog post as well, is that when you're on your own, there's nobody to blame, right? Mm-hmm. You can't, like if you're at a company and things aren't going well, you know, as, as human beings, we tend to find, I don't know, maybe you could say an excuse for, for why things aren't going well. Maybe you blame your boss. Maybe you blame the company. Maybe you blame your coworkers. Maybe, you you know, mm-hmm. you, you redirect the blame. It's not yourself. It can't be me. It's not me. I'm amazing. It can't be me. Yep. It's everything else around me, right? That's why everything's terrible, right? But then here we are the two of us out on our own, and there was nobody else to blame. If things weren't going well, it all rested at our feet, right? And that was a heavy thing mentally on days when things wouldn't necessarily go right. And it's still a tough thing to manage, you know? I mean, obviously there's there's marking conditions and there's other things also that we don't have control over. But if you go in with that attitude, that's, you know, that's not a winning attitude. You gotta You gotta go in with the attitude that I am going to be able to make a difference. I am going to be able to figure this out, right? Rather than than pushing pushing the blame elsewhere. And that was, yep. That's at least what I remember from it. Well, I remember getting a lot of help. I remember I would go to therapy every every week. You know, I, I would definitely yeah, try to yeah. seek all the mental health help that I could. But I, I do remember that I think it, it was having like the a mentality of one step at a time as opposed to trying to, to solve the, the uh, whole universe yeah, had become sort of a, a key component of this journey that we are on. Where if you start thinking about all the complication and all the possibilities of things that could go wrong and all the variables that you need to control, very soon you just the anxiety level just spikes spikes up to unreasonable levels. And it became clear that just setting a path where you know you focus on one step at a time on the journey is really the only way to be able to sleep at night because you know what's going to happen in like 100 steps from today 
yeah, it's just not going to help you. Just having that mentality of focusing too much far into the future is just not not going to help you. That's a really good one. That's a really really good one. And I know even to this mm-hmm. day, they we tell each other that. You know, <laughs> I remember thinking not too long ago uh, something you were telling me where I was just like overwhelmed with. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. At a time, one step at a time. And then I was like, yeah. you know what? You're right, Giovanni. <laughs> and it snapped me back. You know, the key relationship between co-founders, the fact that sometimes one of us would be down and the other one would help raise the mood. And I mean, it's still true to this day. I don't understand how single founders do it, to be honest. Yeah, I know. I don't either. It's got to be so, so much harder, so much harder not to have that extra support. And I think we were very honest with ourselves with what we were going through. Like when we were feeling overwhelmed, we would be, yeah. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. We wouldn't hide it. We'd be like, yeah, I'm, yep. I'm not feeling great today. And here's why. So find a good co-founder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's it comes. Yeah. How to do it that's, successfully. That's really company. advice find number one. Yeah. Step one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that really is kind of the, the main arc of, of Astropad and really that Apple Pencil is what really turned everything around. And still today, it's really what's made, made Astropad and Astropad Studio the product of success. Later on, we ended up getting into hardware, which we'll have to talk about that on another episode, how we went from being just a pure software company to dabbling in hardware. That's another whole story in itself. Sounds good. Yeah, it was good talking to you, Matt. Yeah, thanks, Giovanni. Likewise. Till next time.